Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed. I'm Ken Hapsack for another edition of Four Center, the big show, the main show, the superstar destroyer of our fleet. The Wookiee leader of our tribe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, like I was it. watching some stuff from Sith on Kashyyyk, and uh, the Wookiees have been on my mind lately. Mm-hmm. Understandably so. I mm-hmm. want to spend more time with the Wookiees. Captain Maru Maru, I think his name is, <laughs> yeah. is the Wookiee. Yeah. 
Tarful. I will remember you, Tarful. <laughs> you know, you can always just watch the Star Wars holiday special. If you really it want to get your Wookiee true. fix. <laughs> Guys, I'm Ken Napsack, like I said, but those voices you're hearing are the wonderful voices that you always hear. It's Joseph Scrimshaw. I am happy to be here and talking about Wookiees and who's leading the Wookiees, what are they doing, what are beaches about, why? <laughs> the, I bet those nice cold beaches. That's why I like a chic. I grew up, I grew up in Pismo Beach, which is a very cold beach. Yeah. It's near San Simeon, cold beach. Yeah. I like hoodies on my beach, and I think Kashyyyk has hoodie weather. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely a hoodie place with nice vistas. <laughs> nice vistas and hoodies for the Wookiees. <laughs> the other voice you hear is someone who can fill you on on all the Ewok news you need, and that is Jennifer Landa. Yep, yep. Yeah, <laughs> 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 See, recently you were like, I don't do good impersonations. You guys yeah. do good ones. That that is very much belonging in Bright Tree Village. I say we you do in practice. April Fool's episode of Force Center, mm-hmm. where Ken and I have a totally normal episode, and then you just always speak an Ewok, <laughs> and we we don't react as though it's at all odd. We're like, oh, good point. And Interesting. I love it. I love it. My daughter has yeah. been speaking gibberish, but she knows it is gibberish, which is really funny. Oh. So we have conversations in gibberish now. It's really fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever just uh, kind of nod your head and, and say, that girl's wise? <laughs> <laughs> no, but she loves doing her Yoda impression, which is, mm, every time she sees him. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, that almost makes me want to procreate. Just yeah. like Star just Wars play pen pal. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm going to get me one of those Yoda noisemakers <laughs> I hear so much about. Yeah, you have to change the diapers, too. Yeah. How, how, old, how old is your Yoda noisemaker now? <laughs> uh, the voice is deepening quite well. Quite well. 22. 22. Uh, Guys, uh, this is the show that we gather uh, together and, uh, and talk Star Wars with you, the fans. It's, like I said, the main show and the big show. Uh, we're not going to discuss news today, um, but we're going to go into two wonderful discussions, uh, one about the Rogue One novelization and background characters. And a lot of that has to do with uh, with the Rogue One novel, because you get to kind of spend some time with those characters as well. Background characters are key to Star Wars, key to the success of the franchise, because I contend knowing and needing to know every detail of the characters, even just in the background, is what fueled the fans' imagination for this world George Lucas created. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But, uh, 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 Joseph, Jennifer, the Rogue One novel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's dive in. Written by Alexander Freed, who wrote the Battlefront Twilight Company novel. That, other than Heir uh, to the Jedi, I think, is that the Skywalker yeah. one? Yeah. The, uh, the Battlefront one is the only one, only novel I haven't read yet of the new canon. Yeah. So mm. I've heard great things about Battlefront. I'm definitely not going to read it because I love the Rogue One novelization. Yeah. Yeah. When I was reading it, I was like, why isn't this guy writing more books? Because mm-hmm. he's a really great writer. He writes action really well. writes characters, perspectives really well. Really so now does. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm down for it. I'm going to get that Battlefront book now. Absolutely. Really down for it. Yeah. I was really, you, Ken, you've been talking about this mm-hmm. for the past couple of weeks. You're like, the, the novel is so good. And I'm like, all right, all right, I'll get to it. I picked it up. I did not finish it as per usual. Uh, but uh, the first page. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we we've saw this stuff on screen, and yet it's really fresh. And the way that he gets in the minds of the characters, mm-hmm. I love it. We learn yeah. so much. Yeah, we, we absolutely learned a lot, and it's easy to say that. I keep saying that over and over again, whether it's here or on Jedi Council or the Rebels show that I do for Collider, or just talking in conversations. Like, yes, it is easy to say that a novel has the time and the ability to go into the characters. That's what books do, but. 
there's just something a little different about what this one does uh, as a movie novelization. There, yeah. To me, there's just another layer of greatness. Yeah, I think, it, to me, the, the great things are he, he writes action really well. Mm-hmm. I love that he gets into the characters by picking a pretty distinct, specific perspective or concern for most of the main characters, and then kind of stays with it mm-hmm. instead of like creating a bunch of different analogies for what is going on emotionally with Jenner. So he has mm-hmm. that one really relatable cave yeah. imagery oh, of, yeah. of how she's hiding in the cave and that has become kind of an emotional metaphor for yeah. and to just use that again and again it keeps it action oriented but more than anything is yeah the the deep dive on the characters and handling it particularly well so that it has an interesting relationship with what we saw on screen where we learn not only oh they said an extra line of dialogue but mm-hmm. really really why did they say the line of dialogue that they did and, and in a lot of places recontextualizes mm-hmm. so if you want to read the book and then go see the movie you can go oh that's really what that character meant by that. Mm-hmm. That is not clear from the way the film is shot right. or directed. But now I know that the character is thinking this. Yes. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And some of the things are good for it. It flows so well. Um, where this adventure, the same, you know, there's no dramatic changes to the plot. Um, it's just the same adventure, but it just flows in a way that uh, that is, is, it is different from the movie to me. You really do feel you are on this kind of, Journey with, with a magnificent seven type of group going towards this big goal, and I and I and the action. Clearly, this guy knows action because it. You really get a sense of what's going on in the fights. I was so curious in reading up to Scarif, how he could explain the Battle of Scarif, and it just it it made you made me just as excited for the battle. And you get to see different perspectives, uh, you know, being inside the Hammerhead Corvette. Yeah. You know, slams against the Star Destroyer, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, that is where I think the book succeeds. It just has a great flow to to the action and adventure of this movie. Yeah. What What were the good things for you, Jennifer? What What really popped for you? Um, I actually just liked the uh, Lyra. Getting mm, just, yeah. I mean, it was not that much more than we got in the film, and yet it was. Mm-hmm. Yes. I would have been very happy if we had seen that kind of exchange between her and Galen, just really getting to know her as a character. I felt like she was really kind of relegated, well, not an extra, but she mm-hmm. just didn't do much in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that to me was... Plus, was, it, was, it was extra disappointing coming out of Catalyst, where she's exactly. a main character, and we kind of knew going in we were already going to be a little disappointed by how little of Lyra we, we yeah. assumed we were going to get. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, we can kind of fill in, especially if you read Catalyst, that she she went into hiding with her family, uh, and then instead of playing around along with Orson, mm-hmm. that just for her, it's like, I can't. It's too much. I just can't. I have to stand up and fight, which yes. uh, sets up the, the the same thing happens to her daughter really well. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly fill that in watching the movie, but it's really fun to go to that actual, to see it play out, to actually go to that emotional place of like, mm-hmm. I know this isn't a good move. I know mm-hmm. this is hopeless, but I can't not fight. Yeah. Would have raised the stakes just a little bit more, I think. Right. You know, when she confronts Krennic. Yeah. It yeah, really well, and, and it did, you, you tied it directly, Joseph, that, that they did so in the book. It is directly tied to Lyra standing up to Krennic and, and Jin doing that. And Krennic not knowing who Jin is, but wondering the entire time, and her kind of wondering who Krennic is, too. Yeah. She's always talking about that man in white. That nightmare um, creature. Nightmare creature. Yeah. And so it add, talk about raise the stakes, Jennifer, it really, really adds to that moment, which is great on film. Right. Um, but... 
again, novels have that advantage, but this one even has uh, takes it another level of just adding adding layers to this this, this Rogue One story. Yeah, like also the the relationship that Jin has with Saw. Was yeah, he, he's definitely more of like a father. For her, a father figure, and I want to let's maybe just start diving in because I think what what's good about this, Joseph. The main question is also tied to what a lot of the new info we get out yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're, we're trying to phrase this maybe two sec- the separate discussion points, but I it's all intertwined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I want to start with that because uh, Jen and her relationship with Saw is is deeper, obviously. But I think more complicated than I knew going into the movie or coming out of the movie, I should say. Yeah. Uh, also, the, the biggest point is when she's rescued. And the rebels come in, and she's like, who are these guys? Oh, crap, the rebels. Saw found me. Yeah. And that's why she tries to escape and, and blow her own rescue. Mm. She doesn't want to go back to Saw. Yeah. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. It, it is a, a different perspective of the themes that Rogue One has about ongoing uh, parent-child relationships and mm-hmm. having not great relationships. Uh, but, yeah, it's also it's just so great that so many things in the book like that help us see why these characters would be so desperate mm-hmm. and why they'd be willing to go like, let's go to this planet on a, of Scarif on this very thin yeah. bit of hope because right. so much in their lives has been so difficult and so much has been taken from them when you're at a starting place of like, Oh, the person who rescued me when my real father yeah. abandoned me made me into a hardened monster and then kicked me out. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. it's easy for us to just kind of absorb that in the theaters. Like, this is an adventure story. She's a tough orphan. Yeah. And then for this book to go into the reality of that mm-hmm. is right. powerful. Abandoned time and time again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that when she tells Cassian, you know, no one, no one sticks around. And, hey, you're home now. That that has a, a, a bigger punch now. Yeah. And, and it's going to make the movie better. That's the thing, too, is, is this isn't Rogue One novel versus Rogue One movie. They're really working in concert for me. Yeah. In a way that the Force Awakens novel didn't. Mm-mm. No disrespect to Alan Dean Foster, the, the, the grandfather of Star Wars writing. Um, I, I thought that was a, a, a not as good novelization. It just didn't add much. It didn't add much depth. It just kind of, well, there's some new scenes we didn't see. This one, I think, really does add to it. And you could say that it's a criticism of the film, that this needed the book. Ah, this isn't that discussion. Yeah. Um, but uh, the Saw thing, when, 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 when Jin goes back to Saw... And she's walking through, and I really was moved by her remembering and asking about people that are now gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That she fought alongside with that are now dead. And, and that weighed on her in some way. Yeah. I think one of my favorite parts was just the overwhelming flood of different emotions that she has in mm-hmm. reaction to seeing the message from Galen. Yeah. Yes. And I think in the film it's nice that it's this clear thread of she wants her father's legacy mm-hmm. to you know, be untarnished by helping to destroy this horrible thing. Yeah. But I, I love the complexity in the book. That it's just like, I don't want to look at this. I do have to look at this. Yeah. You know, there's the, the weak man who left me. There's the strong monster who made this thing. How yeah. dare he even reach out to me? I never want to see him again. All I ever want is to see him. Mm. So yeah. powerful. Yeah. yeah it really, cause in, in, uh, it's one of the best scenes in the movie and, and it's like, you know, she's crying because she's seen daddy again, kind of uh, a little bit yeah. on the surface. And this is so much more layered. She got, like you said, she kind of hates this man. Right. Doesn't understand this man. Didn't, wasn't, this man wasn't around. Mm-hmm. And as a daughter, that's, that's. Important. <laughs> There's a lot of emotions swirling around. <laughs> yeah. She isn't just that hardened orphan. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because the the colors that we see in that scene, in particular in the novel, is that it there's a lot of hate and mm-hmm. resentment. Do we? I kind of got that on screen. Kind of. It, it. I didn't. It was really. I didn't. I don't know where you came with just. But, uh, yeah. But I did not. I saw it as. I've seen it three times. Uh, you know, I, I saw it as. Oh, it's it's. I haven't seen my dad in so long. He's alive, and mm. I'm gonna. Oh yes, I'll, I'll help him. I, I maybe I'm misinterpreting missing things from the movie, mm. but that's why this affected me a little bit more in the book. Yeah, I I interpreted both Jin and Cassian in the movie as having these worlds of hurt and pain uh, from their experiences, and both being very good at locking them away. Yes, yes. and I think exactly. I think our, you know our ongoing questions about the movie are sometimes like, oh, well, just uh, open the door just a little bit and let us see the yeah. world of hurt they're hiding from, and I think it is effective that we see them hiding. Yeah, but like I see her. Uh, obviously, she's overwhelmed by emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it feels like I don't know exactly what the emotion is because the character is good at hiding it. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought of Cassian. J- Jennifer, did you like? Did Cassian pop more for you in the book than he did in the film? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of. I mean, to be truthful, I kind of just skipped around the okay. book, so I don't yeah. think I. No, I don't. I don't recall that. Um. I, I love casting just as much as I did the movie. It's one of my favorite things in the movie. But it's the thing. It's the thing I keep. I, I dropped the book <laughs> when it is revealed early on that Cassian was a separatist. Oh yes, I remember. That Cassian that. came from a family of separatists. Right. Yes. So when he tells Jen, you know, I've been fighting since I've been six, it carries some weight. Yeah. I know it might have been tough. I can I I, I might for the filmmakers to include that in some way, not just because it ties to the prequels. They they mm-hmm. clearly are not afraid to tie the pre, tie to the prequels in yeah. this movie, but um, you know, to the general audience, the what now, the who, the separatists, what are they? Are they the rebels? What's going on? I'm sure a lot of people would have blocked that out of their mind. Yeah, but in book form, to hear him actually say it comes out of meeting Sherrod Emway and the Guardians of the Wills, which, by the way, Cassian never really refers to them other than the Guardians of the Wills. It's very apparent that they're Wills yeah. or Guardians of the Wills. <laughs> um, uh, and to have him kind of struggle with the idea that he still has trouble seeing Jedi as the good guy and wondering if Sherrod's a Jedi or not and all this kind of stuff. And then, then, then it's because, yeah, they, they, they fought him. His family and him or whatever, they're, they're in the Clone Wars fucked the jedi yeah so intriguing to me yeah yeah and you know casting cassian as a good guy is a rebel Mm -hmm. and you know the complex story of the prequel era Mm -hmm. that there were certainly good separatists who were duped by count duco of like look at the senate it doesn't do anything it allows the trade federation to be part of the senate you can see cassian's family you know being Mm -hmm. like no Let's separate from this. And then we meet this guy who's kind of confused about, he's known more his whole whole life and yeah. clearly a, a good person, but needs to be a spy and lock it all away. Because I, I got to imagine, too, as he's getting higher and higher up into the Rebel Alliance, that there's a lot of people who fought against the separatists that he's working with now. Yeah. And the complex nature of that and being on two sides of the same issue is it, but still trying to work towards one goal uh, has to be confusing and way on casting in a way that yeah. other characters didn't. So I think it would have made even me love the character even more. I think the execution of the character in the film is great other than what you're saying. Excellent point, Joseph, about these are people that hide things and he's a spy who hides things. But what that was literally, I had to uh, close the book and be like, wow, <laughs> how was that not in there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I also loved uh, the super, super clarification that Mon Mothma meant the mission to go find Galen Erso and bring him back. And it was yes. Draven, uh, yes. General Draven, acting on his own when he pulls Cassian and says, actually, just kill him. That's one of my points. It's the state of the rebellion. Mm. Yep. That is the key factor there that you get to spend again more time with them so you find out that yeah this is still a bunch of rebel cells trying to come together yeah there there's jan Jan dodana's views there's mon mothma's views there's those senators we talk about that scene in the movie and why it it seemed weird to me you know that that everyone was kind of given up but then you you pointed out hey those are all senators so this is kind of they have a different way of fighting or they're used to a different way of fighting yeah um and draven kind of being you know Little, little scoundrelly. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of like. We've talked a lot about the representation in Rogue One, some of the good things and some of the not great things, with not having as many, uh, you know, having a, two prominent female characters. So right. eh, everything else. But I mean, it's kind of jokingly, yeah, uh, and kind of seriously. I like the representation that one of the primary white characters. Mm. The white male characters is Draven, mm-hmm. who keeps doing crappy things, crappy things. <laughs> and making bad decisions <laughs> for over everybody over. else. Yeah, yeah. including so I, I kind of there's yeah, including what happened on Edu in total. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. a little bit of I think the accurate criticism right. of people of yeah of some people who are like I know what's right and I'm just gonna go take care of it. Right. Rump, 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 rump. <laughs> uh, and that yeah. comes out in the book. It really does. Yeah, yeah. Draven. Yeah, that, that, so that's what I liked. Uh, it, it made uh, it, it really added that la- that layer. I'm gonna keep saying that the entire time. Added a layer, <laughs> um, but just of of knowing that until this moment, until Scarif, the the alliance was still splintered. It was trying. They formed this base. Jandudana seems to have the bigger cell. Let's all go meet at his house. Um, and I know he's not from that planet. Um, don't write me. Don't write me. But he's got the Y-Wings. Dodana's got the Y-Wings. Um, and uh, let's all try to figure it out from there. And then that even makes more sense that Radis is like, not to this, I'm going to go. <laughs> Slap my flipper on the table. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and I like that it, there's a lot of great stuff with Mon Mothma that lets her be a, a bigger character where yep. she is known in the Alliance for... Uh, wanting to find the political solution, but we are meeting her in this book, in this story, at a place where she kind of knows, I'm going to try one more time, but it's probably not going to work. So I'm I'm kind of preparing for war, but I'm not entirely letting the political solution go. Right. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Did you get a chance to dive into Mon Mothma herself, Jennifer? I did not, but I was curious to hear your Mm -hmm. guys' opinion about Jin Erso as a whole. Because through all the other people that have read this Mm -hmm. novel, everyone seems to be saying that they like Jin Erso a little bit more in the novel. Yeah. Versus what we saw on screen. Do you think that's because of the reshoots? I said the word reshoots. The reshoots. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The reshoots are coming. The reshoots are coming. Or it's just because, like you said, you know, we get that extra layer by by, with the novel. You know, my biggest hurdle in loving Jenner so on screen as much as I thought I would um, is that, again, it's a great point, Joseph. She's a character who's hiding things. And in the book, you can literally, it's a magical cave place she's going to where she locks away her emotions um it's you know felicity jones seems to be playing it subtle quiet staring at you uh where in some of the early stuff she's a rebel and i rebel and i'm a criminal and i wanted a little more spark yeah in the book i think i got spark yeah i I understood it i understood it a little bit more and it's only going to make my viewing experience that much better yeah 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 good yeah i got i got frustration and anger 
in more frustration and anger in the book. And mm-hmm. I feel like some of the reports are that they did dial that back in the reshoots mm-hmm. for the let's make sure the character is likable. But I feel like the character makes a lot more sense being like, I'm trying to find a place and I keep getting kicked out of places. Mm-hmm. I don't even want this war. I don't trust anyone around me. I'm just sort of being buffeted around by the yeah. world. And eventually I would like to decide something for myself. Right. Mm. The book does a great job of saying, I am doing this for my father, but I'm also doing it for myself because I finally found something that I believe in, that yeah. I made the choice. I saw this Death Star thing. I know what it's about. I don't think it should exist. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to possibly die, I'm going to do one thing for myself. That's huge. Because yeah. That's been kind of the criticism about the film is that she's basically doing things for the men in her life. Mm-hmm. I've seen that criticism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, she's going to honor her father. Or to, mm-hmm. So that is a huge... I think that would yeah. be much more powerful. And this isn't me going... On, this isn't me being deep dive scrimshaw. That's like mm-hmm. explicitly stated three times towards the end yeah. of the book. Okay. Yeah, yeah. this is yeah. for her father, but mostly for herself. Deep Dive Scrimshaw is also uh, number two in the <laughs> WWE title rank- rankings. Really disturbing fighting yeah. style. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Is, that is. Yeah, but no, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's 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 a better definition of her as a character, I think. Yeah, so yeah. much more powerful to have seen a character like that on mm-hmm. screen. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of a shame. Mm-hmm. You know, the f- but we love yeah. the film. We love the film. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. It's wonderful. No, but it really is. And I thought Felicity Jones was great, mm-hmm. but. To be ticky tacky. There's definitely some points of, uh, I don't want to say conflict, but like uh, in the briefing scene where she kind of gives her speech, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they really set that up is she spends three hours testifying to that council first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they're like, Mm. yeah, we don't really believe you, whatever. And then she's like, I'm I'm mad. And then she's like, I guess in order to be heard, I, I. I have to try to talk like one of these senators. So mm-hmm. it really contextualizes her speech about like, when you fight, face, you know, an evil this great. Yeah. Totally paraphrasing here. But it makes sense why this rough and tumble warrior is suddenly speaking in speeches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the character is choosing to. Because she right. thinks that's how to get through to these people. Oh, that's a very... Yeah, that's an interesting choice. Yeah, that 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 scene, uh, the 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 debriefing scene in the in the Braveheart speech moment, it, it, yeah, it, it it plays a lot better. And for me, some, someone had a problem with it in the movie where I didn't understand why why is the why is the rebellion saying no? Why yeah. is Mon Mothma going? All right, I guess we won't fight. All right, we'll fight. Uh, I'm glad. I'm going to sm- smile wryly as Radis <laughs> goes and uh, you know fights on his own. Uh, it, it 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 again paints a better picture of the rebellion, and then it gets into the Jin character a little bit better. Um, it just, yeah, and again, just the 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 uh, knowing that she she couldn't fit into anywhere. She's been running her whole life, and that probably leads to her lack of caring for one great cause or what feeling that she needs to. Mm-hmm. What does it matter to her? She's been on her own the entire time, and not necessarily her choice, or, or you know, uh, she's hurt by Saw. Yeah, so Saw was her father. Right. Yeah, she's right. hurt by him. So um, to take a lot of uh, that and make the decisions in the end on her own for for this greater cause that she wants to be a part of now, it, it, it just it. it there's a punch yeah. to it. That's yeah. Right. yeah. Do you, so I'm sorry. No, no. You go ahead. Do you find that the character reading in the novel? Do you find that she's less likable? 
or no. just more complex. More complex. More, right? more complex. And I, I think in some ways even even more sympathetic because I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, that that getting to the universal through the specific. Mm-hmm. Of, exactly. You know, we haven't been, most of us have not been twice orphaned because stormtroopers <laughs> <laughs> keep coming to your house. Right. Um, but we all feel buffeted around by the world and like we're just doing things for other people and can't decide who we want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think if they're making that story a little bit clearer. Great. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really felt the same way about Cassian, if he is also in a, a little bit of the same place, in that he, I, I, it's so novel to have a rebel spy. Yeah. And that he is living the life of a spy. If he really knows his way around Imperial bases, he knows how to lie, he knows how to fake, but he doesn't really know how to be himself or like, oh man, I let a little, uh, there's too much mm. honesty in my tone. Right. And now somebody's going to know my hand. <laughs> that was really more interesting and likable yeah. to me too. Yeah. Interesting. One of the other things I love too is the character of Bodhi. Yeah. Um Riz Ahmed did such a great job in the movie uh and Bodhi's a great character but there's definitely um the fact that he is doing this for family, doing this because Galen convinced him that you can make right with yourself. Uh again Bodhi's a character that just kind of got a job with the empire. Yep. Didn't didn't believe uh, necessarily. It was like that's what you did. I became a cargo pilot and uh um that that Galen kind of got to him and how I don't know that's fascinating did Galen manipulate him did Galen how did this converse did Galen just eeny meeny money mo you come here yeah um how did that but you know and that, that this is a a family man it doesn't necessarily mean that he had a, a wife and kids waiting at home type of situation but it's like it, it it's something about his family name and name and his honor as a, as a person in this galaxy, which then, so when Cassian, excuse me, when, when Bodhi explodes and does his one thing for the mission, it, it, it got me more in the book than it yeah. did the movie. Mm. It's a great little conversation uh, that almost reads like it was cut from the mm-hmm. movie, a very short conversation between Bodhi and Jen, where Bodhi is trying to kind of convince Jen, like, I didn't know your father that well, but he actually was, he's, he's a, he really believed this. He's really a good guy. He really wanted to stop right. this horrible thing that he did. That's why all of this happened. Mm. Right. And Jin kind of letting that in, in a little bit. Yeah. Mm. It was powerful. Yeah. It, uh, and Sheridan Bay, uh, Bay's Malbus, I think, uh, is the closest the two characters that mirror the movie for me. I didn't yeah. pull a lot of out extra. It was more from Cassian's point of view of their will, Guardians yeah. of the Wills, uh, which is fascinating. Uh, but their, their relationship and, and, it was really sad Bay's going out. Um, yeah. It was written so well. So incredibly well written. I think an, a great thing that the novel does, too, is just double down on the physicality of the world, which mm-hmm. and I think the movie Rogue One is really, you know, conscious choice to be grounded and harsh mm-hmm. and real. And he writes so well of every little ache and pain every time they, like, climb a ladder or get knocked mm-hmm. down on something. And it, it gets that uh, almost sort of a primacy of needs level where you can put yourself in a place of, like, yeah, it's an action movie, but if you mm-hmm. get into the reality of, like, I am in such pain, and I just yeah. want to do the next thing, yeah. that starts to make their psychology, their desperation, their sacrifice make even more sense of, like, yeah. I am one giant bruise. I'm, I can barely move two steps forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so there's like, visceral. There's, there's a description of, of Bezos' clothes at one point to me, I think, if I'm, if I'm recalling right, where it's just dirty flight suit mess. It's just, you get, you get the grimy feeling these guys have been flying around the galaxy <laughs> just looking for a bath. <laughs> you know? Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, one of the uh, 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 one of the other little moments that I love too is uh, going a little bit deeper into Mon Mothma and Bale talking about Obi Wan. Yeah, nothing gigantically different from the movie, but you just get the perspectives and how the it was the Hail Mary pass that they felt all hands on deck. We need this, and that 
to me, and in the movie you get the sense too, but that, that they were s- sitting on this yeah. a while. You have to wonder if there's other conversations with Mothma going, hey, we need to call your buddy. No, 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 no. We're good. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got this. There's yeah. still a political solution, yeah. right? And yeah. her, her finally saying, I think we need your buddy. Yeah. Phone a friend. Yeah. Phone a friend. Phone a Kenobi. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, K2's death also really was well, well written. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It's great in the movie. It's great oh, in the it's movie. It's the one movie. of the high points and low points. Sniff, yeah. sniff in the movie. But yeah, yeah. yeah. K- the, you're running through K2SO's droid-like thoughts. Yes. Of oh, no. Calculating how many milliseconds he has. Yes. Well, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Jennifer's hands are up. Like, is that it? Don't yeah. say anymore. It's so good. It's crying. just really, really well done. Um, yeah, so I think for me, those were the, mm-hmm. the big picture things. And then I wrote down a bunch of just little kind of fun details. Yeah, I yeah. Absolutely. I don't know what your notes no, are yeah, like, Ken. You start running through. I've got, I've got, I've got uh, one big final, one thought in that kind of list. Okay. Hit me, baby. Hit uh, me. <laughs> I love that. Uh, it, it, the, the novelizations aren't canon, but... They describe Edu as a place just uh, covered with rural nerf herders. Yes. <laughs> so it's nice for them to contextualize that insult yes. of, like, that's what's on this planet is a right. bunch of actual nerf herders. <laughs> it was really nice. Uh, speaking to what was a big discussion a oh, yeah. couple episodes ago when we had our uh, all-fan questions, we got yeah. a great question about how hyperspace works. Yeah. And in this book, if we want to accept it, we got uh, yeah. some great hyperspace uh, fun to play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're di- they're di- discussing with Draven how long it will take them to get to Edu from Yavin 4. Um, and the guy who's an expert in it is like, well, depending on these calculations and atmospheric conditions. Yes. It's like those little two words, There, we- that's all we need to wipe away <laughs> any questions of how long it takes. If it takes somebody too long or too short in a movie to get from place to place in hyperspace lanes... Atmospheric conditions, <laughs> so like right there, little gift. If uh, if you're if you're like me and worry about those things, it's a gift. <laughs> and and we are. Yeah, uh, I just jumped around here because I always write down too yeah. many things. I, I thought it was great for people who have read Catalyst that one of Jin's toys is yeah. named after the character Has Obit. Oh, yes. Yeah. Such a great yes. little fun detail, yes. and I'm sure that's in the, it, the book. The visual, the visual guide. The visual guide, yeah. I, and I saw Pablo Hidalgo tweeting about going through and trying to name everything there. Um. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One of my favorite things, it's so sad, um, but it is it is an amazing little uh, human slash creature uh, detail that kind of expand, expands on this story is uh, the death of the folks on Jeddah. Yeah. So when that scene, when the when the Krennic, they're testing the, the, the laser and they take out Jeddah City, you go through a couple paragraphs at a time of some of the citizens as they die. Uh, including the little girl that Jin saves. Oof. And it's so well written because it's so... You, the moment it starts, the first sentence, you're like, oh, what is this? Oh, I oh, know what yeah. this is. Oh, and how many examples of this? Yeah. Oh, three scenes? It oh. is. It really humanizes slash alien creatureizes um, um, <laughs> the reality of what uh, what that moment was. So, so when it flashes back up to Krennic going, huh, it's... It's beautiful. It's just such a heart-wrenching moment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. One missing moment mm-hmm. from the movie, because the book is pretty beat by beat yeah. uh, to the point where sometimes I was like, this is what you're going to say next, because I yeah. saw the movie saw four the movie, times. Yeah. Um, that I was curious, uh, your thoughts on Jennifer. They removed the beat where once Krennic is down at the end of the movie where Jin is going to go finish him off mm-hmm. in Cassian has that very peaceful, let him go, let him go. Mm-hmm. That That's not right. in the book. Right. So what? I know. What's it, what's in place of it then? Just the real, it, they're both so like bruised and beaten and they're really described as like, uh, they might both 
Cassian might die even if Scarif wasn't shot. Wow. Like that, okay. That they're both in really rough emotional and physical condition. Mm-hmm. And it's just written as this moment of this building understanding between them and this moment of them just coming together and just like it is kind of romance, but it's more just two souls being like we're in the same place at yeah. the same time. We're on the same page. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it was a matter that it wasn't in the script yet. Could have been, yeah. Or if it was a matter of, like, this is just too beautiful a moment to then have this other change in direction right. where... Yeah. Cause but, you, well, you get the mm-hmm. sense, too, that Cassian, Cassian's already on his way out. Yeah. That the damage is suffered and uh, what's going on. I, I just get the sense that he, he he really heroic to pull himself up because he already was dying in his mind. I, I, that's what I took out of him. Yeah. Like, they're beat up, so there's no shot of, of getting away. To yeah. Be, they're going to go to that beach and watch them the, the world end. Yeah. Because they had no other option. Yeah, I could almost see it like, you know, you're so ex- physically, emotionally exhausted, you're just going to collapse almost, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That scene in the movie, it's an interesting one because it made me think of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert. Everything like, makes me think of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Remember with Jon Snow mm-hmm. where he, where he uh, beats up, beats him to a pulp, whatever mm-hmm. his name is. Ramsey? Yeah, yeah Ramsey, exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, that, that moment was like, yes! And then it went, ooh, it turned into this ugly place of our hero right. kind of devolving. It's interesting because a part of me wanted to see Jen do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just lose it. Yeah. And just angrily just let it all out on him. So when Cassian pulled her back, I was a, a little disappointed by mm. that moment. I don't know how yeah. I would feel about this whole romance thing, though. Yeah. I'm, and, and, and don't don't get me wrong. I think that's I'm putting my own word on it mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and I don't mean, I certainly don't mean sexual. I, I just mean like the... Um, this connection, this in, yeah, this the, the sort of between. beauty and intimacy of them coming that they both don't trust or know what to make each of each other, and I think it's the part of the film that is most successful to me that they have these mm-hmm. significant moments where Cassian's impassioned speech about mm-hmm. you know I don't have a choice I have to fight this yeah that was good and that that opens something up for her and then her conviction op- opens mm-hmm. something up to him and then every every little beat you know some one of the they almost hug or she mm-hmm. awkwardly touches his arm mm. it's in the movie and in the book and that's mm-hmm. all I mean yeah it's building to that place where if we have to go holding each other on the beach is is a good place for them to be. And you really right. believe that that's where these two humans came to. I mm-hmm. think that that's actually more believable. And the more that you talk about it, the more I actually mm-hmm. like it. The ones mm-hmm. in the film, I think it's probably more realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you're mm-hmm. going to die. Yeah. You know, are you going to deal with that guy or just mm-hmm. like come together and this is it. Yeah. And speaking of dying, Saw Guerrero, his exit. Yeah. Even had a little more sense to it here. Again, not just cause it's a novel, just the way he wrote it and explained it. Yeah. Um, Saw finally given up, and I've I've passed the baton in a sense to Jen and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But also not wanting to sacrifice himself because he just knew he couldn't get down in time. And yeah, two people would have to help him, and they died too. So it was just his time. Yeah, he stopped running. Yeah, and the the sort of the practical like mm-hmm. imagining two people carrying him and the like I'm kind of done anyway. Yeah. Merging really, really well. He's lost too much. Yeah. And it's time to go. And that baton thing gets uh, kind of pointed out in a good way because there's at least once or twice where Jen's like trying to decide what to do and she remembers like, like he he describes it really well. I can't remember what it is. Like, you know, choke, you know, Mm -hmm. screams of save the dream. (laughs) And it's like, that was great to read the honesty of that because that's a weird thing to have a person shout at you. I'm kind of mad at you. I'm kind of upset about you. You abandoned me. Save the dream. Like, geez, okay. (laughs) All right, dude. (laughs) 
So that was good there too. The explanation of the boar gullet and yeah. uh, what Bodhi went through. Bodhi was effed up. Yeah, and it's really, really in the book. You get that sense of he has no idea who he is. Literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and the boar gullet is extra creepy. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. and uh, they they also get into uh, the nitty gritty with what the Tantive Four is doing. On Radis' ship, the profundity. It's, uh, yeah, it's broken, right? Yep. It's, it's in the shop. <laughs> it's in the shop. Yeah, and mm. it's going to go out into the battle as soon as it's repaired, and it doesn't get repaired in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. There you go. Yep. I love Questions answers. answered, exactly. <laughs> how, how do you guys feel about um, novelizations of the movies not being canon? Where does that, where is the advantage in that, the disadvantage in that? Yeah. A little confusing. Thinking it's confusing. About the the thermal exhaust port. Ah, uh, yes. Right. Right. Yes. A little. So in last week's episode of Force Center, we we had uh, the issue come up of uh, Pablo and team saying on uh, the Star Wars show that no, absolutely, Galen did not create the thermal exhaust port. He created the unstable reactor. It was the rebels who figured out how to get to it, the exhaust port, which I think on screen works for me. Yep. Loved it. I like it. Doesn't take in away. I never thought it did take away from episode four, but it definitely confirms that. But then in the novel. There's definitely some stuff that disagree with that. Yep, pretty oh, no. pretty straightforward, fun stuff that makes it clear that this is part of Galen's tricksy trick mm-hmm. to put that in there. Yeah, so I I it it's I generally want things to be canon or not canon, and these are floating in between. Right, because it's like either you're going to go so far away from it that I'm going to know reading it, or you, I mean we're seeing lines of dialogue from the movie in the book, yeah. so I'm going to assume that this is canon. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah. So I kind of struggle with that. <laughs> Yeah, I think what I came to with this novel uh, was I was really happy for the moments where, like, uh, it, they're kind of open to interpretation. So now I feel like I learned a lot about the characters and their perspectives, and I can apply right. that to the film. And then some of, like, the details. Like, I'm not going to get attached to the Tantive Four was in there for repairs because I wouldn't be surprised if something mm-hmm. came along to change that very practical, specific mm-hmm. narrative. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of okay with them not being canon. They're hard to make canon practically. Yeah, it definitely, this one particularly helps me understand the movie more and fill in gaps and questions. I wish this one was more canon than the others, but look, uh, it's like going back to the old EU. Like, uh, I don't want to, if everything was canon, Chewbacca would be dead and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, Jackson would be flying around in X-Wing. All, all the things we don't necessarily want for all the all the Thrawns and Mara Jades and Talon cards of the, of the galaxy. <laughs> um, but uh, the Force Awakens novel, like, I'm glad the Unkar plot getting his arm ripped off scene isn't canon. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't like it as much. So I, I sometimes, you know. You got to take with the good with the bad, or take none of it. I, I don't know. So, uh, but then the Rogue One novel, I'm just like, oh, but that, oh, but that's better. It's, that makes more sense to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a lot of it that we can put in our head cannon and leave mm-hmm. it there until uh, Pablo and team or oh. whoever else comes along and says, "Get that out of your head." That luscious <laughs> that's bed not of head cannon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So until we know otherwise, it's Captain Ramus Antilles. Yes. So yes. the uh, you know famed <laughs> Captain Antilles we met early on, Ramus, now has a name, Ramus. Ramus. You know, it was Ramus. interesting. Uh, the final scene. Uh, I want I want to reread it, but. Uh, and hand, and Ramus handing off the stuff to uh, uh, Vader, or excuse me, to Leia as Vader chases him, chases his crew down. Um, it 
Did you get the sense that he was like not sure who Leia was? <laughs> oh, that and that Antilles was. Yeah, yeah that yeah. that was. I think a little could have used a little bit more precision. Yeah, there, there's. I've criticized one thing about the book. Yes. Yeah, I feel like it was confusing whether we were in Ramus's perspective in that bit of prose. Yes. yes. Yes, so it exactly. does sound like, who is this, you know, white-garbed woman, yeah. this young woman? But then he starts talking about how much responsibility she has. Like, Ramus, what are you thinking about? Yeah, yeah. It was a weird moment. Okay. It was a weird moment. But I, I love that ending just as much as I do love it in the movie there. Mm. Um, any other uh, points uh, lingering here? Oh, Yes. No, you go ahead. Oh, Jennifer. no. I was just saying, I really want to finish this now. It sounds fantastic. Yes. I think you're going to enjoy it because yeah. I think it addresses the, the real emotional issues that you had with the film that I think I share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the last thing I was going to say is there was a little bit of canon fix for Vader mm-hmm. marching down the hallway and just destroying people in Rogue One and not doing it in A New Hope. Yep. Because he gets on board and his troopers all go for the captains right. for the bridge, right. which is a logical place to go. And then Vader has a feeling that he should actually go down here. Ooh. Yes. Which is great. That's a perfect tie. So like, okay, yeah, the stormtroopers weren't really with him in Rogue One, were they? Right. They know, it's right. just him alone. Oh, yeah. Slaughtering people, just going full bore. And then you can see how like, oh, well, I've got my troopers with me. Yeah. I don't need to get out the lightsaber. I don't need to go full Sith. Yep. <laughs> you yep. know, so I'll let them take care of it. So, like, great, great patch. Oh, uh, I forgot about fix. the moment, but it's great. Yeah, it, it does. Uh, that ending is, like I said, it's just as good in the book as it is yeah. in the movie. The movie, it was a home run, and it's a yeah. uh, 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 home run as well in the book. Yeah. Uh, look, guys, I cannot recommend this book enough. If you're out there still wondering if you should read it, um, absolutely pick it up. It's on uh, available from Del Rey. Alexander Freed, uh, great writer. I cannot give this a, a, a bigger recommendation. I'm not going to say it is my favorite of the new canon novels because Lost Stars and Lords of the Sith and Bloodline are up there as well. But uh, this takes its place proudly on the mantle. It is not just a retread of the movie you saw. It yeah. will expand on it, maybe change your opinion on it, and it definitely will just add to the flavor of the movie. I yeah. can't recommend it enough. Uh, yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Hey, Jennifer, I'm just I'm yeah I'm so excited to finish <laughs> reading it. It really you sold me on it even before. Yeah, and I know you you've, you've poked through it for sure, but uh, maybe. Read it to your daughter as a bedtime story. <laughs> I was actually reading uh, the Princess Diarist to her, which was a little weird. No, not the Hans, not the uh, Harrison Ford section. No, uh, just, no was... just you gotta you gotta start him young. Yeah, start him young. I only have so much time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know. This is a story called Krennic's Very Bad Day. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of the things that we see a lot in the Rogue One novel, we get to spend a little bit more time with some of those characters. Draven, you mentioned, explained a lot differently and, and more time with his kind of crazy brain, and and Radis is there and you get to see uh, hear more about him. Bistain, Pow, the people we love, the background characters of Star Wars are really good in Rogue One the movie but even more so in Rogue One the novel. There's some great things in Force Awakens that just is why Star Wars is what it is. Background characters take on lives of their own. In fact a background character in 1977, two of them could have an impact in 2016 <laughs> on Jeddah. He doesn't like you. Yeah. Dr. Evans and Panda Baba showing up again is a testament to the strength and the importance of background characters in Star Wars. And Joseph, we wanted to talk with uh, Jennifer and myself today uh, about background characters in Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Ken, but I mm-hmm. think uh, Bistan is 
Is he? He's not in Rogue One, it, the novel, is question. he? Is he? No, I think he is. They talk about him as uh, the gunner, right? Really? Or maybe I just... Yeah. I, 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 good question. I power read the second half of the novel right. earlier uh, today as we're recording. Right. And so so something might have slipped by me. But we certainly don't we don't dive deep on Bistan. Right. And honestly Bistan is the one who got me thinking about the background right. characters. Mm. Because mm. I feel like we used to have these relationships with them, especially if you're an older fan where uh, a lot of the relationship wasn't on the film. It was the action figure, the bubblegum card, or the story, or the sticker, or whatever. Right. right. We collected. Uh, and now we're getting these teases and the creators, like Gareth Edwards, knew that we were going to lose our mind about the space monkey. <laughs> he, knew. <laughs> he knew. So, Jennifer, what do you think? I know you were disappointed by having more Bastan. Do you feel like in Star Wars, if we get these characters, they should just get that little something more? Mm-hmm. Or do you, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about this, and I'm like, uh, okay, going to Return of the Jedi. So for me, one of the background characters I love is Size Noodles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. and it's not like we see her on screen a lot, right? Right. right. We get a nice shot of her and those, yeah. those gorgeous lips. Yeah, you do. But it's just, it's just the way that she's standing. It's kind of her pelvis thrusting. And it's yeah. just a brief moment. And I get that character. I'm like, she's yeah. a funny lady. She's got stories to mm-hmm. tell. Mm-hmm. She, you know, gotten into bar brawls potentially, <laughs> you know? So I, I was like, what, what, what made me so upset about Bistan? Was that we did not get to see all uh, just a little more of his space monkeyness? Yeah. We're more off, right? <laughs> yeah, more off as an example too. Yeah, yeah, just a little thing of maybe how he loads his gun, or I don't know, just give yeah. me a little flavor. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to put it. I feel like you know there is it's a different it's a different time. It is a different um, time, <laughs> and like more off looks so cool. And then just, there was that one shot in Rogue One where you realized he was with the rest of the dudes when they're attacking mm-hmm. and taking the kind crystal back from the stormtroopers so like yeah why couldn't we have just had like a great cool shot of yeah. a one cool thing that Moroff does because yeah. you yeah. made him yeah he looks great looks great we want to get ridiculously obsessed with him yeah mm-hmm. so just give us one just a little bit a more, little more so we can yeah it, it, it yes and Moroff is a prime example of expecting more Bistan ex- expecting more and not getting enough but uh it's interesting, too, though, when I think back, is we all three uh, uh, in a Star Wars era as fans where, you know, we grew up with Walrus Man. And, and yeah. I think it was very late where I was like, whoa, what is, what's his name? Panda Baba? Yeah. Is that a thing? <laughs> no, it's Imperial <laughs> Dignitary. What are you talking about? It's not Janice Grijadis. What are you talking about? Uh, it's Rancor Keeper. Um, but that just shows that, you know, a lot of that stuff, Lucas just... And team put these guys in the background, and I don't think they thought too much of their stories at that time. Yeah, uh, I don't think Richard Marquand was like, "Well, you know, Ninum is uh, is from this planet, and Lando is uh, is his motivation. It's just here's a weird creature next to you." Yeah, it was the fandom and the expansion of the canon um, in the late '80s that made this happen. So now we're in this weird time, like you say, where. I think if Rogue One had been made in 1980, I don't think Bistan would have had any more than he had now. No. Just we're expecting more because there's got to be a comic about him or a figure or a <laughs> book about him. Like yeah. we, we want more. So it creates this kind of maybe false expectation. I don't know. I Am do I off base there? if there is something about the specificity of it. So we think of the Rancor Keeper, right? And right. how we see him crying over yeah. the rancor. It's a uh, okay. one moment, and okay. it, it says so much about that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I think I was kind of missing. Like, or even mm-hmm. Nine Numb and the way that he talks. 
even if we had mm-hmm. heard the way that Moroff spoke. Oh, yeah. It would have said a lot. Okay. That's you know a, what I mean? That's a point lander. Uh, oh, yeah. Point, okay. point lander on the yeah. discussion. Yeah. Hey. That I get what you're saying. Right. Yeah. We don't just see a, a, a fat dude and a cow. Right. We see him crying over the rancor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which adds to the depth of the galaxy. Right. And Moroff, we just kind of see right now is this big lumbering dude right. that looks cool, but we get. Okay. Yeah. So if Moroff had. Said a joke. Yeah. <laughs> or laughed. So that's a, yeah, the Raincore Keeper, that's a great example of just that moment of flavor or character. Mm-hmm. Same with size noodles. I will throw out then, like, the Dengar problem, mm-hmm. which oh. I, I rewatched Empire recently. <laughs> <laughs> the Dengar oh. problem okay. is, uh, right. it's uh, a thing. Yeah. The Dengar problem. <laughs> uh, I rewatched Empire and you do have to work to see Dengar. Mm-hmm, you do. Like, yeah. he flashes by in a second. I think yeah. he's only in one or two of the establishing shots of right. that very short bounty hunter scene. Right. And we, because of the action figure mostly, mm-hmm. I think, built up a whole relationship with Dengar. <laughs> yep. Before we discovered he's a, a you know, Cockney-speaking <laughs> ne'er-do-well. Yeah. Uh, you know, sad sack bounty hunter. Right. Um, but we managed to make all that. So I guess... I, I guess what I'm wondering is, are we okay with having Dengar-like characters in these movies where they really are just a flash, mm-hmm. but then we build our own relationship outside of them? Or is that world just gone? I think that's like an, it's a nostalgia thing, yeah. right? Like if, if we mm-hmm. were 10 watching Rogue One or whatever, maybe we would have that kind of affinity yes, yes. for a character. You might not be worried that you don't get much more from Pow other than going ah! and that might be enough <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah right um, but it's actually Prune Face is an example yeah mm-hmm. Ori Marco exactly mm-hmm. um, I'm still fine with him being Prune Face I like <laughs> the story right now I like that Hazobit is the same species mm-hmm. but yeah um, so I think I don't want it always to be explained yeah right. you know and, and if Han Solo walks into some kind of cantina in the Han Solo solo film um, I'm okay with some of it are references. Like I would hope that those two uh, uh, twins with the the Betty Page haircuts are there, <laughs> um, but I don't necessarily need everyone in that bar to have a have a dossier that I buy a book about. Yeah, I'm okay with the mystery because it's part of the fun. Yeah, it's part of the fun of doing figure fights on Jedi Alliance and putting up Imperial Dignitary, and we all laugh. Mm. Yeah. Um, versus now, we can say, well, well that's Janice Rejatis. He was this, he was that, he was this, he was that. We have all the answers. I, I, I'm okay with that, too. Yeah. That's not a problem. Um, but it is, I like the, uh, I like a little bit of mystery in some of it. You can leave some room. Yeah. I, yeah. My example that I thought of that is Yaddle. Of like, mm. maybe that's just a change of direction that, mm. that George Lucas thought it would be fun to have another of Yoda's species. But, like, even now, you know, we had great fun with her in the data bank because it's kind of like, Right. Yeah, we're not going to tell you anything about Yaddle. Yeah. She's the same species as Yoda. We're still not telling you what that is. <laughs> mm. We're not telling you what happened to her. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it would be a fascinating as we're trying to devour all this information if they threw somebody like Bastan out there and they're just like, on the official databank, no one knows much about this angry monkey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'd yeah. all just be like, yeah. where's he from? Would you like that, Jennifer? Would you like it if they left a character that's like, we acknowledge it in canon, but you figure it out. I think it's okay because, like, with Yaddle, I had the same reaction, like, when I saw Max Rebo. And was, mm-hmm. I didn't need to know much about him, but just their presence. And I was like, oh, oh, 
oh my gosh, it's a female Yoda. You know, and <laughs> mm-hmm. or even like I'm thinking of the Force Awakens and the Hapabor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that character Hapabor butt. Yeah, I don't need to know what planet or you know, I don't need to know much about it, but mm-hmm. just this presence on screen just kind of fulfilled that that need in me of like, oh, this is a Star Wars movie. Okay. And I love that. Yeah. So well, we that, can keep it mysterious. And that raises the next question, Joseph, that you've uh, put down here excellently in your outline. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. What is the minimum amount of time? To be on screen for a background character to capture our hearts. Can you have a flash of Dengar? I think you can have mm-hmm. a flash of Constable Zuvio. <laughs> <laughs> and the mystery of that. No, I think what I like about Star Wars is that it could be Dengar being an example. Uh, it, could, it could be just simply that. A quick camera pan. Yeah. And there's something interesting about that character that stands out to you and it turns into something, uh, you know. And I, again, I like that we might know we now live in a world where we know more about Dengar. But yeah. it was what helped draw me in as a, as a young, young fan is this entire world and that the reason that that dude had rags and beat up stormtrooper armor on, it meant something that yeah. I didn't yet know. Mm. Right. And you wanted to figure it out. So I think no, no minimum time. Okay. The Hapabor, right? Right. It's a great example, Jennifer. Of even seen in the movie. I don't know if I really remember seeing it before, but the first time you're just like, "Oh, that's so Star Wars." Yeah. What is yeah. that? Mm-hmm. What is that? And now we know. But I'm glad we do. But like, it, it just pulled me in, in in a second. Yeah, I think that's maybe a good way to divide the background characters because there's the ones who provide even a minimal narrative function, or a, a, the better way to say it is a character who takes an action versus right. a character who's literally just standing there. Right. Mm. Dengar arguably is not, I mean, he's there for a meeting. He's yeah. there to get an assignment, but he doesn't do anything. Size Noodles sings, sings. right? right. Mm-hmm. The Hapabor drinks with Finn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these characters, you know, Sidon, Athano, and, mm-hmm. and Qui-Gold uh, uh, yeah. are, you know, they're actively interacting with one of our main characters, going to take him off the planet. Right. Mm. But, you know, is that, is that kind of, do we consider that the same as just uh, Judah Friedlander's character who <laughs> turned and looked turned. at the camera and oh. that's it? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, I think there's a balance, and I think you need. I think you need both, um, and I think I'm trying to think of an ex- going example. Uh, Rogue, Rogue One. I mean, um, I really like the member of Saw's team that has like the all black biker scout helmet on. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. I don't need much more than that. He runs out later when they're all escaping the castle. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something intriguing about that, and I don't need more to that yeah but two tubes um i'm glad we got a lot i would have you know he was i was ready for him to be something and i think i got just enough of two tubes yeah uh that we can figure that out in another book yeah exactly i like there is a dividing line yeah yeah i wonder if there's a big board (laughs) and they're just like small screen time a line (laughs) like i don't know i don't know how it works yeah, I mean, it just seems like with the, the story group that, you know, we're talking about that Star Wars story uh, last episode, that they, or Star Wars show, that they gave that interview and found out, like, oh, they're really responsible for dropping characters in. So I don't expect every filmmaker, while they're trying to tell a good story, to be like, right, hmm, this design is interesting, so the character better take an action so it can become mm-hmm. a great B background character. Yeah, I don't yeah, expect yeah, the yeah. director to do that. But since we have this story group who clearly pays attention to us fans, mm-hmm. They could choose how to direct our obsession if they wanted. Yeah. They could say, like, okay, Bastan's an amazing design. Mm -hmm. We have a little bit of backstory for him. So we're going to tell the director, like, make sure he has Has X, Y. This character should should at least have X, Y, and Z so that 
there's this amount of fodder for the fans to play with. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, with the Morath action figure, like, he's cool looking, but I don't really, I mean, I kind of remember him running by from a faraway shot, but I... He, he's walking, and then, yeah, in that Kyber scene, he's he's lumbering like a Muppet chasing Kermit down the street. Hollywood! Hollywood! He is sweetums. out of the Muppet movie. Sweetums. He, he's <laughs> Sweetums. He, um, oh, no! He's running after those Kyber crystals. Uh, right. So. That is so great. Yeah. What... Uh, um, wow. uh, will uh, side characters from some of these other properties, Clone Wars, yeah. Rebels, comics, will they ever capture the, capture the magic? Or, Joseph, do you think they have to be on the big screen? That's uh, That was the thing that I was thinking about because I certainly enjoy some of the smaller characters. I've been looking at a few uh, mm-hmm. for Databank Brawl and thinking about, oh, I think there's something about in, in animation we're used to seeing strange and exotic Creatures, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there's something about seeing them live on the screen that makes them really pop. Mm-hmm. Example, it makes us example for pops to my head is like Hondo's different. Hondo's a very very active character. Yeah. Clone Wars active character in Rebels, but he's got a little Ugnut friend that oh, runs yeah. around in Rebels. And I think if that oh, was yeah. on screen in an actual practical way or CGI, but on in a movie theater, I think I'd be more interested in who that Ugnut character is. But now I'm just like, it's an interesting little fluff in a cartoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hondo's fine because Hondo's been, hey, he is a character in the Star Wars universe now. Um, but yeah, that little Ugnot, I'm like, uh, it, he's, he's, it's something funny about it. It's something amusing about this little weird Ugnot following Hondo around. Um, but uh, it doesn't grab me as much as if there had been a, a little background character. If uh, There was a little sassy Ugnot on Cloud City. <laughs> yes. Sassy Ugnot is sort of like, I kind of want to hang out with you even though you're always trying to kill me. Yeah, yeah, like, that's, yeah. just a, that, that's the only thing we really know about this guy, and that does make him yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point about the animation thing. It's like, it's oh, it's just a cartoon. But yeah. on screen, yeah, there there's a magic, magical about yeah. it. That's what makes it a Star Wars. Yeah, movie. E- even in the comics, you know, even if it's a main side character in the character in the comics, I love this character of Tarix, which is who's in the Poe Dameron comic. He's a First Order kind of officer, but he's an ex stormtrooper, fought on the Battle of Jakku, and through his story, you're finally getting these flashbacks. You're seeing a lot of the Empire post Jakku uh, and what happened and how it went away. And and Tarix is an interesting character. But because he's not on screen, it's this weird kind of layer between me and the character of, uh, it's a good character. I want more. If it was on screen, I'd be like, oh, this is a keying character to the yeah. Star Wars universe. Yeah. And that's, that's on me. That's not on the creators. It's on us on fans. But it, it's an important question because we get Star Wars served up in many different ways now. Yeah. Right. And, and they have such power to serve it up. I, I ultimately agree with you, Jennifer. I think you really put the nail on the head of if we're going to have these background characters, if we're going to know a little bit of their bio for marketing and to get us excited, at least give us a thrilling shot. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Moroff didn't. Biston, I feel your your disappointment, your pain. <laughs> but I le- he at least got that cool shot of screaming yeah. and yes. taking out the knee. Yeah. Right. Like there's a little <laughs> bit of that's that character that we can hook mm-hmm. into. Like who is he? He takes out knees. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I feel like for if they're gonna advertise someone like two tubes to me, give mm-hmm. give two tubes a moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Agreed. You need that. With episode eight coming up, yeah, mm. is there any kind of special background character you guys are wanting to see or hoping they create? Mm. Yeah, mm. I was thinking about this a little bit, yeah. and I think go deep it, dive scrimshaw. Oh, this isn't that deep a dive. This is we'll call this one an obvious dive. <laughs> uh, obvious dive scrimshaw uh, that we haven't had since Wu Hair, a fun bartender. 
Mm-hmm. And I, because I, because I'm thinking about like you know the, mm-hmm. the flavor of the characters, and some of it is just what is their job? How did they end up here? What is it like to be there? Like I guess it's Maz Kanata's place. Sure, Maz, kind of, but I know what you mean. But yeah, but we you didn't know, get to meet Maz's number one bartender. Yeah, and it, that would be fun to meet to see because Wu Hair is like fun. We love that side character, like mm-hmm. this grumpy guy who hates his job. Right. But like, what, what? There's a fun weird alien who's really good at listening to your problems, or like uh-huh. somebody who does like full Tom Cruise spinning cocktail display. <laughs> like, it's just a little niche of like that'd yeah. be a fun character to obsess over. Yeah. Mm. This amazing weird bartender. Yeah. I like that, Jennifer. I like that. Well, I'm thinking, of course, an alien creature of some sort. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe a friend of Luke Skywalker's. Maybe a oh. Jedi. Or the, I mean, who knows? Well, this. All right, we're going. We're going in the same mind. Oh yeah. We're going the same direction, Jennifer. I can't imagine. I know Luke's out there alone. Right. Yeah. All right. I get that. I don't think he's got a bartender hanging out <laughs> on the first Jedi planet. <laughs> he should not. But who's his Wilson the volleyball? Is there oh. something out there? Is there a little Furby-like Ooh. alien? Is there some someone? And it, 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 look, it's, I don't want it to undercut the serious tones of the training going on. I don't want, you know, all right, Ray, do this. Meanwhile, I'm going to hang out with uh, Fuzzball over <laughs> here. But I wonder if there's something. Could there's some kind? Is there? Is there? We're going to get to see Luke's world a little bit more. What have you been doing here for X number oh, of years? Oh my yeah. gosh, I love that that he has a little friend, a little mm-hmm. furry friend. Like, how do you eat? Yeah, maybe they have meals together. He feeds a little creature. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, so like takes the, care of some. Yeah, some little screen. Mm-hmm. Thing, yeah, yeah. Oh, that would be pretty great. I was thinking, like, because in theory there is the first Jedi temple there. Mm-hmm. Right. I was thinking maybe goes to the temple and you know talks to whatever you know spirit of a guard is left there. Oh yeah, I'll chat it up with him. <laughs> spirit but, of a Jedi temple guard. Yeah, like real chatty. It's like, what's been going on in the galaxy? Yeah. Did you know this is the first Jedi temple? Yeah, I, yeah and then, I know. you know my spirit is locked to this, so I can't go anywhere. <laughs> what's what's I out like there? That. But I really like the furry thing where Luke's just like yeah. talking to him about like I think I really made some bad choices. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like <laughs> what am I doing out here? I can't train this girl. Yeah, that'd be interesting I there. Like that. <laughs> so whatever they come up in episode eight, you're damn well sure episode eight is going to have uh, some new wonderful Star Wars characters in the forefront and the background that we're going to get to learn and love and debate and put them to uh, cannon fights in Data Bank Brawl. I, that, that's the important. <laughs> all these new Star Wars movies are just fodder for Data Bank Brawl, and that's what I love it there. So uh, out there, uh, if you're listening, be uh, be sure to follow us at Force Center Pod and hashtag Force Center and pitch us your favorite background characters that already are existence or pitch us one for episode eight what do you want to see in the background of episode eight i think we can have some fun with that mm-hmm. now we always uh, have fun with our audience because they got a great uh, deal of questions for us joseph we love answering the questions either on facebook or on twitter or uh, you can mail us to an address we don't have yet <laughs> yep so we got a, a bunch of great audience questions and the first one is from sean masser with a great twitter handle at red five hulk <laughs> who <Well>. asks <laughs> who do you feel was a more menacing villain director krennic or general hux mm. Ooh, good question that's a very good one I'm going to say Hux. Wow. You know, well, the critic in the in Catalyst, that he's he's scary to me. Yeah. I mean, and, and Ben Mendelsohn was great, but uh, for me, General Hux is really unpredictable. Oh, yeah. You know, he's got a real chip on his shoulder. <laughs> he seems like he'd be a troll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He might dox me. I, I don't want to mess <laughs> with him, you know? <laughs> on this internet <laughs> on which I type. <laughs> 
It, I want to say Krennic, but it's Hux. Yeah. The, the, the Catalyst novel is a different Krennic than we get on screen. Yep. He's middle management running into some bosses he hates in the movie, and, you know, his hubris destroys him. He choked on his own aspirations. <laughs> Hux, here's the thing. Clearly, Snoke trusts Hux more than he does Kylo Ren yeah. in, in some ways. Yes. Yeah. And that makes him much more menacing and powerful to me. I have to agree with you. My mind goes to, like, a fancy restaurant. Mm-hmm. Hux is in there yelling at the staff because they didn't put enough mm-hmm. butter on his bread. Ooh. And Krennic's trying to get a booking yeah. at the restaurant. <laughs> like, that's just, they're, they're at different places. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. really good. Great question. <laughs> yeah, next question is from Dane Owens at Owen Danes, uh, who says, How did the Rebellion order their matching flight suits without arousing and the Empire's suspicion. I love that. It's <laughs> a great one. It's <laughs> a great question. I never thought about that, Dane. <laughs> Dane, you are taking my Star Wars mind to places. Now I have I have thought about the Empire ordering their uniforms overnight yeah. yes. and suddenly unveiling a bunch of new equipment and gear and training and all these kind of things. And uh, when the Republic becomes the Empire, but I've never thought about the logistics of. What kind of flight suits should we get? Orange? Cool. Where do we get them from? I got to think there's a hidden network of seamstresses working. Yep. That's what I was yeah. thinking. Day and night. Yeah. I like that there are maybe deci- decisions made about which team you're flying with based on just which mm. suit fits. Like, mm. oh, you were going to be blue squadron, but yeah. we don't have any blue jumpers that fit you. So you're green now. So you're green now. Mm. Yep. I think that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's the same way with the, it's what I do like about the show Rebels when they steal the, steal the Y-wings, you know, because it's like, who, you know, well, all right, we get T-65 X-wing but who was making those? And yeah. that was the rebellion getting them is one of the great questions, you know, that, that we're starting to start to see those kind of answers. Yeah, yeah. Growing up, it was like Empire had TIE, uh, tie fighters and they had X-Wings and yay. And now it's like, but why did they? Is it just because they, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like the Crown Vicks uh, police departments kept us for a long time because they could get them as deals. Yeah. <laughs> and Crown Vic people were like, our cars are not popular. You guys want them? <laughs> like, yeah, we'll buy a bunch of them. We'll paint them black and white <laughs> yeah, for you. Yeah, so. yeah. I, yeah, I love the idea that maybe this is what is this what everybody wears? Yeah. Boss kind of has one like yeah, it. Yeah. Is this just super generic? Nice. Like this is just what they order? Like, mm. you know, if you go to whatever the Star Wars version of Target is, like yeah. this is basic. Yeah. Maybe there's like a uniform <laughs> store, you know, like where that's you get what like, I'm saying. Yeah, nurses scrubs. That's and <laughs> I told you chef that's, coats. That's the character I want to be in Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Uh flax weave makers. Thank you for that. <laughs> I finally named him on Nick Mundy's Team Tucker Awesome podcast. Is that he's making the uniforms for the Jedi right next to the temple. I love that. I got your uniforms right here. You know, switch I got your Imperial uniforms right here. And he's the yeah. character that just ended up on Tatooine making yeah. making Jedi robes yeah. for everybody, well, right? Yeah. I mean, you think about like the the mobs. Right, and they yeah. must have their own tailors who know all their secrets. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting That's a, story. Did There's you, danger. Did you see Pablo Hidalgo, the man we mention every episode now, <laughs> tweet out about his thoughts on uh, why uh, everyone on Tatooine had Jedi garb? I did. I can't remember what he Wait, said. Though. It was related to so it, it Super Bowls or World Series. They preprint a lot of these winning oh, team. Yeah. You know, yay! The Packers won the Super Bowl, and then the Packers don't. Mm. There's this thing where these thousands of T-shirts get shipped to poor countries. So there's <laughs> poor tribes in Africa wearing Packers are the champion shirts. He says that that 
that all the Jedi, they're the losing team. They got shipped to Tatooine. All these uniforms oh, got shipped God. along the way to Tatooine. I like the idea, taking that even a step farther, that Palpatine's like, uh, we, we got to clear out everything in the Jedi Temple so I can make it the right. place that I hang. Uh, so I'm going to just load all of their belongings that aren't <laughs> mystical into like pods and shoot them across shoot the galaxy. galaxy. <laughs> it's just that's why you see poor farmers Dude, not man. only on Tatooine but now on Lamu. Yeah, where in exactly. Jedi Rose. Oh I, I just see, God. I see uh, as the uh, the great Jedi Temple garage sale. <laughs> Come on by, best offer gets a robe. This is what I want to see. In Jedi Star Wars robes. fashion explained. <laughs> Jedi robes are now BOGO. <laughs> Dang, great question. Yeah, that's that absolutely great. Uh, I did ask for some uh, fun questions, and you guys gave us a lot of good, uh, fun, uh, some silly questions this week, which is awesome. Next up is Steve from Brooklyn, whose handle is at Ensign underscore awesome. And uh, Steve says, a Bacta tank has good acoustics. Mm-hmm. What earthly music would Vader listen to when he is between jobs? Greetings from Germany. Thank you, Steve from Brooklyn, for greeting us from Germany. That's pretty awesome. Uh, I'm sure there's a fun story there. Mm -hmm. But that's a a great fun question. If Vader is listening to tunes in his Bacta tank... I mean, I think it's German heavy metal. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think so. Greetings from Germany. That's Uh, that's right there. That's we got some German heavy metal coming yeah, along. Speed the death yeah. uh, Euro metal. Yeah, I think that's what Vader's got in his head. Anakin was weak. That's why you destroyed him. Yeah. Interesting. I was gonna go classical, obvious, mm. but I'm thinking more of like a Chopin. So it's almost mm. like more lyrical, rom- mm. more romantic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, kind of light. He just wants mm-hmm. to unwind, have a glass of wine in his back. Yeah. And, uh, nice. Pump some wine into the back of the tank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in, in his Bakhti tank. He is at his most quintessentially uh, problematically mm-hmm. Vader, where he must hold on to his anger. He must believe right. Anakin and everything from his previous life was weakness. But he's also trying to heal and relax. Mm-hmm. This is a perfect stress point. So I think, yeah, he has to listen to maybe something that is annoying. Mm. So oh. it should be peaceful, but, it's, but it's it's so peaceful it's annoying. Like I think like bad elevator music. I. I like that. I like that. I like that. I think it's possible that he listens to, on repeat, the Gungan celebratory music from the Independence. Oh, that's annoying. Oh, jeez. And he's just, in his head, he's just grabbing that piece of orbit in Boston Ness's hand. He just, yeah, he's smashing those blue balls. (laughs) On repeat. On repeat for the rest of his life. That's great. Uh, Yeah, and what earthly music, that's great for Steve to specify, looking looking for uh, actual earth music. I think Mm -hmm. if he wanted to drive himself totally insane, Mm -hmm. go classic earworm of uh, It's a Small World. Yeah, it's not. That could work. <laughs> uh, great question, Steve. Uh, next up, a, a listener who, who writes in often. Thank you. Jonas Bergren, as always, audience questions are an opportunity for me to say your name wrong. <laughs> Jonas Bergren or Bergren? I'm, I'm going to stop trying and apologize. Bergren. I go Bergren. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I like to fluster around until either Ken or Jennifer <laughs> rescues me. That's what this is about. <laughs> Jonas asks, what kind of job do you think Obi-Wan would have if he wasn't a Jedi? Busboy at Dexter Jetster Restaurant? Mm. Mm. That's a good one. Mm. I think he would have been like a history teacher during the day. (laughs) But at night, he on twice a week, he runs like a martial arts class. 
Oh, that's good. And with some yeah. fighting styles. Oh, yeah. Man. And it's like, sir, are you a Jedi? No, no, no. But I, I'm friends with him. <laughs> I know how to do this. Oh. Classes are 45 Republic credits to start. <laughs> yeah. And then Friday, good. Saturday nights, he drinks a lot alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jennifer? I'm thinking like he runs a, a bookstore, like with new agey mm. kind of stuff and mm. crystals. <laughs> he tells that. a lot of stories. Like People he's... think that he's nuts, <laughs> but they don't know that he's really telling the truth. Yeah. Oh. He knows things. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think that he is your dangerous, mysterious substitute teacher. Yeah. Because I think he likes he likes to lecture people. This your your crystal selling guy is perfect because he <laughs> likes to blow people's minds right, right, with right. a hyperbole and half truth. Yeah. So I can see him coming in with his briefcase <laughs> and saying, "You know what, kids? We're throwing out the rule book today. Oh, I love I'm going to teach you some weird stuff." But then he also has a part. He like you know he he likes adventure. He likes he likes chatting around. So I think like yeah, then he would go on weird like yeah. walkabouts. You know, and be like, "I'm going to be the first person." Who walks all the way across, you know, Ryloth or whatever planet. And then he can brag about that when he it's next time to go and teach math. I, I love that you've cast him as like the guest star on Wonder Years. <laughs> you know, that that history substitute teacher that taught us a different way to think yeah. during the Wonder Years. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. Jonas, great question as always. So hey, we appreciate your support. And uh, uh, yeah, and that was our that was our last question. There. That was it. That was it. But uh, some great ones. You guys are so great. To submit questions to us, you can follow us on Twitter at Force Center Pod and use the hashtag Force Center to get a hold of us directly related to the show. You can ask serious questions, big questions. Sometimes your questions lead us to entire topics for shows, and otherwise, mm-hmm. other times there are these great questions that uh, get us laughing and thinking about things that we didn't think about previously in the Star Wars universe. You can also go to our Facebook page like that, the Force Center official Facebook page, trying to get our uh, like total up over a 1,000 so we can smile real big. And that way you can also send us more Direct messages on there that have bigger questions. Uh, I try to get to uh, uh, get to them as much as I can. As we always say, we do read them. If we don't respond right away or respond uh, not not respond at all, uh, don't take that personally. Just uh, please continue to submit. We love having these conversations with you. Uh, following us on Twitter is important too, as well as we uh, race towards fifteen hundred. And on iTunes, subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps us a long way as well. Joseph, Jennifer, on a rainy day in Los Angeles, it's fun to get together and talk about this wonderful, wonderful saga that uh, inspires so much different discussion points. It's as an honor for me to be here with you guys again. Jennifer, you have a lot of adventures outside of here. I do. I do. You can follow me uh, at Jennifer Landa on all of the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook. I will be doing some more YouTube videos, I oh, hope. Oh, nice. You yes. do? I have some ideas percolating. I just mm-hmm. have to find the time. <laughs> <laughs> Such is not yeah. my uh, life. That is life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you guys can uh, follow me on the social media as at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can check out all my shows and stuff on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. My other podcast is Obsessed. I like to talk to people about things they like too much, maybe just the right amount, and maybe uh, maybe the perfect amount. Who knows? Uh, and maybe I'll interview myself about background characters. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That is it for this week, guys. You can follow me at CatNapsuck. And don't forget the Napsuck Files podcast feed is out there as well if you like hearing me talk some more. So until next time, in honor of Bestain, we say, yeah!
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.